Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Um, it's exciting to celebrate the grace of God together. Today I'm going to present uh, a message that I call the one foot journey. When I speak of this one foot journey, I'm talking about a very simple journey, and yet it takes a lifetime to master. The one foot journey involves moving from head to heart. This 12-inch journey from head to heart in the way that we uh, talk with other people, in the way that we listen to other people, in the way that we relate and communicate, uh, the one-foot journey to a better marriage, the one-foot journey to a better life, the one-foot journey to better relationships. So as we talk about this one-foot journey from head to heart, I guess we start with a question. And that is, can we really trust our hearts? You know, the Bible uh, tells us pretty clearly that we can't trust every thought that hits our head, right? We can't trust our most recent version of thinking all the time. Have you ever tried to live merely from the head and you react in the same old ways, whether it be in the marriage relationship or with your kids or with your friends or with your parents? We react from this headspace, and it's the same old way of, of behaving. It's the same old way of reacting. But I guess the question is, what if there's another place to live from? And if this place called the heart, if we truly can live from it, then that begs the question, can we trust it? Can we trust our hearts? Now, I know that somewhere along the line, perhaps in some church somewhere, uh, in the United States, if you, as you've had your life in Christ, there you may have encountered the, a, a really cool-looking worship leader who had awesome hair, and he had just the right amount of holes in his jeans. And as he strummed the guitar mid-song, he looked up to heaven and he said, God, we've got wicked, wicked hearts, Lord. And then the whole auditorium erupted with applause. Amen. And at that, I want to hit the pause button and say, wait a minute, wicked, wicked hearts. We're pulling a passage out of the Old Testament to say that we have wicked hearts and we think that's humble and spiritual, but actually we find that it's the opposite of the gospel message. The gospel message announces that we have new hearts, that we have a new spirit, and that we have God's spirit living in us. God cleaned house. And then he moved in. He doesn't live in dirty places. So Christian, can you trust your heart? Uh, We'll be asking that question of the word of God this morning. And in Hebrews 4, here's uh, the first answer. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Look at what it's able to discern. Able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if we're going to ask whether there is a place within us that we can trust, well, then we ask this of God's word. And I think we're going to find this morning that the answer is a resounding yes, that there is a a safe place, a trustworthy place within you at the core of your being that you can trust. Nevertheless, identity theft is rampant. I mean, remember decades ago, identity theft was some dude out in your backyard, rummaging through your garbage, 
trying to get your credit card receipts and your information so that he could masquerade as you and steal your identity. Today, it's a lot more complicated with the Internet and with email and with uh, people sort of uh, trying to put a hook out there to get your information and then steal your identity. Identity theft happened as early as the garden. Satan was interested in stealing, killing, and destroying their identity, and that's exactly what he did. Today, we're told that the enemy accuses us day and night. So the enemy, even to this day, is interested in us not knowing, not understanding, and not relying on our new identity in Jesus Christ. And one way he has done this is to masterfully convince the church that we have evil, wicked hearts that are desperately wicked and that it's humble to say such things. Now, of course, this is true of the unbeliever. The Word of God speaks of the unbeliever's heart and tells us very clearly that uh, before salvation, before meeting Jesus Christ, we had a heart problem and we needed a heart surgery. Romans 1 says this, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored. So this was before knowing the Lord. We were in Adam. We were in the flesh. We had the old heart, the stony heart. And this is prior to us getting a new heart. And it says that uh, our hearts were lustful. Next, we see that our hearts are hard before meeting Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 being darkened in their understanding, cut off, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And then in Romans chapter 2, it says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Now, who is it that experiences wrath? Not the believer, but the unbeliever. And so we're seeing here that basically we're reading someone else's mail. Have you ever done that? You shouldn't. It's illegal. But you're reading someone else's mail here this morning. This is not addressed to you. I'm saying it's not about you. It's not a description of you. This is not about your heart if you're in Jesus Christ today. But before salvation, we had an unrepentant, lustful, hard heart. Now, the question is, did Jesus do anything about that? And if he did, how good of a job did he do? You know, it's interesting that since we're this high, we toss around the phrase born again. And back in the 80s, perhaps you could say that born again almost became a political label. It identified people that were evangelical and conservative. But in so doing, the phrase born again, we've become almost numb to it. We've heard it so many times that to many of us it means very little. But what does it mean to you that God gave birth to you? Now, I'm not talking about you being created. I'm not talking about you being born physically. But I'm talking about the fact that the Bible says that now that you're in Christ, you are born of God's Spirit. So if God's Spirit gave birth to you, what does that say about who you are? If we were to cut you open on a spiritual operating table and look at the inside, at the core of your being, what would we see? If you are born of God's Spirit, if you are born of Him. Now, you know, 
why are we why are we looking at this issue? Well, remember back at uh, the time when 9-11 occurred. I mean, you remember uh, George Bush, uh, when he got up, George W. Bush, and he, he stood before the cameras and he announced what had happened and what they were going to do about it. Now, imagine if he had stood before those cameras at the White House and he said, uh, well, you know, there's been an attack and we're not really sure what happened and we're not really sure... Uh, what to do about it. So if you guys have any suggestions, let us know. Now, what kind of game plan is that? That would leave us in a very weak position. And so the reason that we're talking about this this morning is because it's good strategy. It's good strategy to understand what's in here. It's good strategy to understand what's coming at you here. And it's good strategy to understand the enemy in terms of identity theft. So what about your heart? We saw that the unbeliever's heart is lustful, hard, and unrepentant. But what about, what about your heart? Well, in the Bible, we actually see that God crossed your heart. You remember when you were a little kid, there was that saying that you might recite, I cross my heart, I hope to die, I stick a needle in my eye. I'm not going to ask you to do that this morning. But I am announcing that God has crossed your heart. What that means is, is that he has taken your heart to the cross. Now, when you think about that, I want you to think about this heart surgery and how it, how it took place. So imagine this, I have this paper and I put this paper inside the book and I seal it up inside the book. Now, if I were to throw this book into a fire, what would happen to the paper? It too would be burned. If I were to dig a hole and I were to bury this book, cover it over with dirt and bury it, what would happen to the paper? It too would be buried. But what if I went over here to Austin and found a, a really cool shop in downtown Austin and I took this book and I raised it up and I seated it on the highest shelf I could find, what would happen to the paper? It too would be raised up. Why? Well, the principle is very simple, isn't it? The paper is in the book and therefore what happens to the book happens to the paper. In the same way, you see where I'm going, you at salvation, do you realize salvation is a new location? You were taken out of Adam and you were placed in Christ, sealed in him forever. You were crucified in him, buried in him, raised in him, and seated in him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, it's very simple, but God has placed us in Christ and taken us through a radical heart surgery, a DNA swap. You know, uh, everybody is somewhere. There's spiritual geography. Everybody is somewhere. Today you are in Georgetown, Texas, and that's your physical location. But everyone is somewhere spiritually. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And the day that God transferred you across that great chasm and placed you in Christ, you received a DNA swap, a spiritual DNA swap. You're in a new lineage. You're in Christ Jesus. And because of this, God has crossed 
your heart. Ezekiel 36 says, Moreover, I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, that's your stony heart before salvation, and I will give you a heart of flesh, meaning a living heart. Notice it goes on, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, notice that there's several things that happen to you. A lot of people think, oh yeah, when I got saved, I, you know, I got the Holy Spirit. It was like, uh, you know, God came along and gave me a little bit of whipped cream on top of the Holy Spirit, and now he heps me. That's what we say in West Texas, he heps me. The Holy Spirit's my hepper, he heps me. I ask him for hep, you know. I don't think we need an interpreter for that, but uh, you understand what I'm saying. We, we go with the philosophy that he is merely and only a helper. A little bit of spiritual whipped cream on top, yet I'm the same person I used to be until I hit heaven. But you know, that's not what this passage says. This passage says we got the Holy Spirit, sure. Capital S, I will put my spirit within you. But did you notice that you also got a new spirit? Look at that first sentence. You got a new human spirit. Not just God's spirit, but you got a new heart and a new spirit. And you got God's spirit living in you. Let's put it this way. Anyone who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So the question is, how close is your Jesus? You realize that Paul put it in some pretty provocative terms. He told these Greek people, he said, anyone who joins himself to a prostitute is one flesh with her. But anyone who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. What he's trying to say is, you are fused to Jesus Christ. Your spirit and his spirit. So we're asking, God, I want to be clean. I want to be close. And his answer is, your sins are gone and you are one with me. Do you see how radical the gospel is? We're asking Friday questions. You know, we're asking questions about the crucifixion. We need to be living in the reality of Sunday, Resurrection Day, but we're, we're still trying to graduate from Friday. We're asking cross questions. Am I forgiven? Can I lose my salvation? Is God mad at me? What does God think of me? The cross took care of all of that. We need to graduate and live in the reality of the resurrection. You're one with Him forever. He'll never leave you. And no one can snatch you out of His hand you realize that you're one spirit with Jesus Christ, that you've had a heart surgery, that you've had a DNA swap. This is the covenant I'll make. I'll put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God has downloaded his desires into your heart. He's etched them on the lining of your heart. Your heart is not wicked Your heart is like God's heart. He has given you his heart. He's written his desires on the lining of your heart. There is a safe place. It is a one foot journey away from your brain activity. Everyone in the world can operate from here, from gray matter. 
we're talking about moving down here and taking this one foot journey and living from a new place, a trustworthy place, a safe place where Christ lives. So as we look at the believer's heart, we find some very interesting things. Watch this in Romans chapter 2. He is a Jew who is one inwardly with a surgery, circumcision that is of the heart by the Spirit. You realize what that's saying? The Holy Spirit came in, cut out, cut away, cut out your old heart and infused you with a new heart. Next, we see Romans 6. It says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, how many of you were slaves to sin? All of us, right? We got hands raising. Yep, I was a slave to sin. Now, how many of us became obedient from the heart? All of us. This is about what God did to us. Though I used to be a slave of sin, I have now become obedient from the heart because God has made me that way. So people say all the time, man, I love this grace message. Grace, 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 grace. Love to sing the song, amazing grace. But, right? They always come in with a big but. But what about obedience? And they act like it's a different topic. Like, it's great that you're talking about grace, but what about this totally different topic called obedience? Do you realize that by grace, God has given you an obedient heart? So obedience flows from the heart, but the heart has to be obedient to begin with. Fortunately for us, God is not saying, fake it till you make it. I mean, imagine the theology. Imagine if if the average Christian believes that they are desperately wicked at heart, then here is essentially their theology. I'm dirty and rotten and, and sinful and evil in my heart, but I'm supposed to live holy and righteous and blameless for 89 years until I hit heaven. I am desperately wicked, but I need to live righteous. I am dirty, but I need to live pure. I am wicked, but I need to live holy. Do you see what that does to a person? It makes them feel like a dirty worm. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's not that bad. We're two people. Oh, really? We're two people? Now that makes it much better, right? You've got two hearts. You've got two spirits. You've got two spiritual natures. So now you just you're, it's like uh, schizo-Christianity. You're hoping the, the, the better you survives. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that we have two selves. The Bible doesn't teach that we have two hearts. The Bible doesn't teach that we have two cores to our being. Behold, I give you a new heart. Behold, I give you a new spirit. Behold, I give you my spirit. So God cleaned house and then he moved in. Romans 5, 5, it says, hope does not disappoint because what's been poured in your hearts The love of God has been downloaded to your heart. The love of God has been injected into your heart. Beautiful. Ephesians 3 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Does God live in dirty places? Of course not. He made you new and then he put his very life inside of you. So what am I saying? Well, you know, there's a, a world of difference between hardware and software. I, 
recently bought a, a MacBook computer and, you know, I, I took it home and it was shiny and silver and new and beautiful and expensive. And then, you know, I opened it up and I was on it, I would say five minutes I was on it and it said, you need a software update. What? I just bought this thing, brand new hardware, and now you're telling me I need a software update. See, there's a world of difference between hardware and software. That's what I'm saying this morning. There is a world of difference between hardware and software updates. The Bible says that we are in process up here. The Bible calls it the renewing of the mind. I'm looking at it as software updates. And yet, even though we're experiencing the software updates, the hardware is brand spanking new. The hardware, the hardware is beautiful and needs no update. So in a sense then, you know, you're God's mobile device. You know, you're walking around planet Earth as God's mobile device. And every now and then, he offers you a software update, doesn't he? Now, you know as well as I do that you can be on your computer and you can be offered a software update and your choices are accept or maybe remind me later, right? We do this with God, don't we? He offers us a software update and we X out of that and say, remind me tomorrow, remind me in 48 hours, right? So you see that the software updates are very different from the hardware. The hardware is the safe place within us where Christ dwells and we can live from here. Even though this is in process, we can look to here where God has caused us to be born of him. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you've got a child of God heart. You've got a heavenly kid heart. You've got a heart that cries out, Daddy, Daddy. This is what little Jewish kids would say as they would tug on the tunic of their father walking down the sidewalk. Abba, Abba, Abba. You've got a heart that cries out, Daddy, to the God of the universe. So have you ever met someone? Maybe you found yourself over the years. We say this stuff. I meet people all the time that say this. They say, I've got it all up here. I just need to get it down here. Sound familiar? I've got it all up here. I've been a Christian a long time. I've got it all up here. But I just need to get it down here. Do you realize that's dead wrong? That is the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. If anybody has it, says they have it all up here, I would run for the hills, man. Nobody is a know-it-all. We are experiencing the renewing of the mind. So it's actually the opposite. It's the opposite because we have it all down here. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We're lacking nothing. We're complete in Him. We have fullness in Him. We're one with Him spiritually, and yet our minds are being renewed. So you will be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for a really long time. You know, at the age of 20 years old, I thought I knew a lot. 
I was on the floor of my apartment begging God for answers. And I was doing everything the Christian world said to do. I had all the Bible passages that I needed memorized. I was sharing my faith left, right, and center with people that wanted to hear it and people that didn't want to hear it. I would go to the 24-hour grocery store late at night and find somebody in the produce aisle who was squeezing the fruit, and I would share Christ with them, and they just wanted to get away from me. I would share Christ with them so that I could feel better, so that I could sleep. And it was because I had this warped theology that said, I'm okay when I do. That's doo-doo theology. And so I was all about do instead of done. I was all about doing for God instead of looking at what God had done for me. And I had it backwards and I thought I knew a lot. I would have told you, I've got it all up here. I just need to feel it. And so I'd say, I need it down here. And I was talking about feelings. But do you realize that we don't have it all up here? The truth will set us free. And this is a lifelong journey And yet we can every moment realize there is a secure place, a consistent place from which we can choose and from which we can live. The very core of our being. Okay, but what about the self? All right, I'm going to push you a little bit to maybe rethink some things. As I travel and speak, I ask people, can you trust yourself? Oh, oh no, I... No, I I can't trust myself. I can only trust God. Man, that sounds so cool. That sounds so spiritual and so right. So who is yourself then? Who are you? Do you realize that in the Bible, self is not a dirty word for Christians? Do you realize that in the Bible, we're taught that you're only one self? It's the new self, the new creation. Yeah, sure, we've got the enemies. There's the world and the flesh and the power of sin. Absolutely, we have our tempters that we battle with every day. But Christian, who are you? Can you trust yourself? No, I can only trust Jesus. Well, can you trust what Jesus did to yourself? Because he made you the new self. There's only one self inside of you. For the Christian Self is not a dirty word. Romans 6 says our old self died. Ephesians and Colossians say that we were raised up and seated with Christ, raised to newness of life, the Bible says. So who are you? Are there two selves in there? No, the Bible says there's only one, and you are the new self, united with Jesus Christ. So a new heart... And a new self means new possibilities. Because the core of your being has been torn out and you've been given this heart surgery and you're now experiencing the software updates, there's a whole lot of new possibilities on the horizon. It's much like in the White House. Every four or every eight years, there's a new person that comes into leadership. And that person, of course, what they do is they do away with the policies of the former administration, don't they? They do away with the policies of the former administration, and then they introduce new policies. You know, that's what the flesh is like. The flesh is like 
policies of the former administration. But now there's a new self that has moved in. And that stinking thinking from the past, that that out-of-date software, that old way of operating, the policies of the former administration, that is the flesh, those are being done away with, and we're instituting a whole new way, a whole new strategy for life. So the new heart and the new self and the new spirit means new possibilities. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 9, each one must do as he has purposed where? In his heart. Now, if you have a wicked heart, would that be a good idea? (laughs) I wouldn't do as you've purposed in your heart if you've got a wicked one. But if you've got a new heart, now this makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith, how in the world could that happen unless God gave you a pure heart? Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, and love with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Peter 3, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Isn't that what we're talking about? Essentially, we're we're getting a spiritual x-ray this morning. And we're saying, Who are you as the hidden person of the heart? What do you look like on the inside? Let it be the hidden person of the heart. The Bible says this is precious in the sight of the Lord. Do you realize that your heart is precious to the Lord? I know the Lord is precious to us. Do you realize that your heart is precious to him? Well, what did we see today? So far, we've seen that God crossed your heart, God cleaned house, and he moved in. Your heart is an obedient heart. You know, I lived in South Bend, Indiana in a house that uh, was designed by a student of Frank Lloyd Wright. You know who Frank Lloyd Wright is? He's a well-known American architect, and if you've ever seen his work, it's straight lines everywhere. The walls are straight. The roofs are pretty much flat. Every entrance, every doorway is squared off. Even when he made furniture, he made it very straight and upright and uncomfortable. But that was his style, straight lines. So we uh, saw this house on the historical registry, and it was cheap. It was a downtown home in an unsafe area, which I'll tell you about tonight. But nevertheless, it was a cool house to be in. Now imagine if the day we moved in, or down the road shortly thereafter, I started looking at the architecture of this home, and I thought to myself, you know what, I think I can really improve upon this place. And so I pull out a sledgehammer, and I start tearing down the doorways to make them rounded, like the other homes on the street. I I take this sledgehammer, and I start tearing down the roof and the, so that I can make the roof line more pitched, you know, like the other houses. Well, that would be turning Frank Lloyd Wright into Frank Lloyd Wrong, man. I mean, you don't mess with a masterpiece. You don't mess with a masterpiece. And so, when we as believers call our hearts wicked, 
when we believe that we need to die to self. Have you heard that? You need to die to self. That assumes yourself is wicked, yourself is dirty, yourself is evil, and you need to kill yourself spiritually. Little by little, that's sort of, I call that the weekend at Bernie's theology. You know, the weekend at Bernie's movie? I mean, you know, Bernie's dead. But a lot of people don't realize that. The mafia killed Bernie, and yet these kids want to have a party at his house, so they prop him up and carry him around town, put him in the convertible, lay him on the sofa, put a glass in his hand, acting like he's alive, and then guess what? The mafia gets news that he's still alive, so they try to kill him all over again. And a lot of us Christians have a weekend at Bernie's theology. We end up believing, oh yeah, my old self, I gotta die to self, I gotta kill myself, I gotta kill my old self, I'm two people, I've got two hearts, I got two spirits, I got two spiritual natures, I got my old self that I'm dragging around Texas with me, and I, I just slowly, I just need to, yee, yee, yee. it makes a great horror movie, but a horrible way to live the Christian life. And so, the phrase die to self is non-existent in the Bible. The closest thing to it is Romans 6, your old self died, past tense. God crossed your heart, God cleaned house and moved in. There's a real struggle with the flesh and the world and the power of sin. It's not easy. But do you see the battle is not you against you? You're on the same team with God. Software updates, absolutely. But you've got the new hardware. The new heartware. God cleaned house and moved in. Your heart is an obedient heart. Conclusion, you really can trust yourself because you are the new self in Jesus Christ, united with him. You really can live from the heart. So will you take this one foot journey with me? In reacting to people, maybe you've reacted the same way 82 times and you've experienced the same result. Will you take the one foot journey and live from the safe place, from your new self, from your new heart where Christ lives within you? The one foot journey to better listening, listening from here. The one foot journey to a better marriage. The one foot journey to better communication. The one foot journey to living the way that God inspires us to live from the very core of your being. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the new heart. We confess that we are new. We agree with you that you have given us a right heart, an obedient heart, a good heart, a trustworthy heart. You cleaned house and moved in. Father, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you've made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.